With just a few days to go, polls generally predict Hillary Clinton will win the presidency and that Republicans will suffer big losses but maintain control of the House of Representatives. It's the Senate that's the biggest unknown. Democrats need to pick up four seats if Clinton wins and five if she doesn't to wrest control of the chamber from Republicans. The outcome will have a tremendous effect on what the next president can get done in the new administration's first two years. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call, joined by Roll Call senior political reporter Alex Rorty and by Senate leadership reporter Bridget Bowman. Alex, let's start with you. There are, by our count, as many as seven genuine toss-up races, pretty much statistical ties are well within the margin of error. Do you think we'll know by the end of election night who'll even control the Senate? Maybe, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's unclear. All the states that are competitive, you know, there aren't any with funky runoff rules or ones that we expect uh, that will go past. But to your point, there are seven races that are extremely close. And if you talk to Republicans and Democrats uh, measuring these races on their own internally, privately, some are just exceedingly close, almost to the point where they're a de facto tie right now. So I don't think it would surprise anyone if you see uh, after Tuesday at least one of these races go to a recount. And it's uh, entirely possible because, again, it is so close um, that that race could determine which party controls the Senate in 2017. There have been some unexpectedly close races, like in the battleground state of North Carolina, where uh, the incumbent Republican Richard Burr is, is facing the fight of his life. Uh, same goes for Roy Blunt, a uh, Republican incumbent and an institution in Missouri. Uh, is this part of some wave, or are these issues more self-inflicted? Well, I, I think if you look at North Carolina, and that is certainly the competitiveness, the unexpected competitiveness of that Senate race, is at least in part because of Donald Trump's weakness in the state polls show him losing. Now he can lose from everywhere to one point to seven points. Um, but it's not a state because it is a, a high population of non-white voters and a high college-educated white vote, neither of which is a strength of Donald Trump's. Senator there, Richard Burr, um, look, has had some self-inflicted wounds to a lot of Republicans in Washington. Uh, they're frustrated with no senator more than they are Richard Burr right now. But a lot of that is just the demographics of the state have swung against the Republican Party. Now, Missouri is a little different. Obviously, Missouri is a very different state than North Carolina. It's much more uh, conservative, much more right-leaning. Uh, and there you see Roy Blunt um, in, in essentially a dead heat in a lot of the public polling uh, with Jason Kanders, a 35-year-old fresh-faced uh, secretary of state in Missouri, who is by every account the best non-incumbent Senate candidate of the cycle right now. Uh, and he's been able to, to frame this race as the old versus the new. In this case, Roy Blunt is the old and he is the new. And it's a message that resonates with the public that more than ever is dissatisfied with the status quo in Washington. It also resonates, and this is important in a red state, with a state that's going to go Trump. You know, a lot of Donald Trump voters want something new. They want to shake up the status quo. And they might give Jason Kander, even though he's a Democrat, they'll give Kander a second look because in a lot of ways his message mirrors the message of Donald Trump. And, and that's really, a, of all the Senate races, that's the most unexpectedly competitive um, one that I think Democrats are still holding out hope that they can win. 
Uh, staying in the Midwest but moving north in Wisconsin, uh, we see a race that's uh, been tightening in uh, recent weeks. Uh, one point, as little as one point separating the incumbent Republican Ron Johnson from ex-Senator Russ Feingold. Uh, just a, some, you know, a half year ago, Johnson was being portrayed as one of the most endangered uh, Republican senators. What, what happened there? Well, I mean, to your, to your point, I mean, Democrats have long considered they had two seats locked up, one in Illinois with Mark Kirk, who is going to lose and probably badly on November 8th. And the other was Ron Johnson's seat in Wisconsin. And it has been a big surprise in the last weeks. You've seen everyone from the Chamber of Commerce to a, a, a group connected to the Koch brothers, the Senate Majority PAC, which is a Democratic super PAC, all of a sudden spending big money in Wisconsin on a Senate race. And everyone's seen the same thing, that it's gotten close, unexpectedly close between Ron Johnson and, and Feingold. And here again, you know, for all the talk of, of a Democratic wave and all the talk of Donald Trump, you know, something else is going on in a lot of these Senate races, and it's certainly present in the Roy Blunt race. You know, there is this dissatisfaction with the status quo uh, in the public. And even though Ron Johnson is the incumbent, he's been able to, tr he's trying at least, and it appears successfully, to run as the outsider in this race. Mm -hmm. And they accuse Russ Feingold of being a Washington insider who's there to profit for himself, not to help, uh, you know, constituents in the electorate. And clearly that has had some resonance. Um, now, look, Democrats are still confident they're going to pull this race out. Um, a lot of times you see late spending. It's a consequence of these groups actually having too much money if you can imagine, and trying to figure out ways and how to spend it. But there's no doubt, like you mentioned, that Marquette poll that came out yesterday was a big wake-up call for everybody, I think, to show that this race really is close and that Ron Johnson really has a chance to beat Russ Feingold. Speaking of ex-Democratic senators, over in Indiana, Evan Bayh is trying to come back to the Senate. He has a great family name there, uh, but he is just getting hit by a, a barrage of uh, powerful opposition research ads. I mean, it, it's like Republican opposition researchers found El Dorado when they looked into <laughs> Evan Bayh's past. I mean, almost literally every morning, people will wake up and see something additional about Evan Bayh's past. You know, a lot of the recent hits have been when he was finishing up his term in, in Senate in the Senate in 2010. What was he doing on various days? He was was he meeting with lobbyists? Was he meeting with prospective employers? You know, somehow these opposition researchers have gotten their hands on his schedule, which has raised a lot of interesting questions. Hmm. But there are questions about Evan Bayh's residency. There are questions about how much money he's made since leaving the leaving office. There's questions about him spending more than two hundred thousand dollars on taxpayer funded flights when he was in the Senate, which is not typical in any way, and and it's really reduced the guy who was probably. Indiana's most popular politician, whether he's in office or not, to a guy who very well could lose on election day. And I think Republicans now expect to lose, and maybe even some Democrats, against the congressman, uh, uh, Todd Young. And it's and it's really put a, a, a crimp in the Democrats' plans because a lot of their, their strategy for taking over the Senate was, uh, we are going to win Illinois, we are going to win Wisconsin, and then Indiana was third in, in their lineup. They really saw that as the third most likely flip state to flip. And look, if Hillary Clinton wins the presidency, that would mean they would need only one more seat mm. uh, to flip. And they again, they have so many other toss-ups. Thinking was, of course, at least one of these is going to go our direction. Now, Indiana is is a big question mark, but it appears that that Young has all the momentum in this race. 
all of the candidates in these tight races. Uh, at this point, uh, the ad buys have been made. Uh, it's really all about retail politics and, and rallying the vote, right? That, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the, the, the TV ad part of this is, is almost done. You know, of course, voters will see ads from now until Election Day. But the strategy for all these campaigns has switched. It's now focused on what the candidate is doing, where they're, where they're visiting, where they're holding rallies, and who they're talking to. And we're, we're almost past the point of persuasion. The candidates are focused on rallying their own voters, getting out the vote. And you see this, um, you know, it was just announced that uh, President Obama, his wife, Hillary Clinton, and her husband, the former President Bill Clinton, will all be in Philadelphia Monday night to rally voters there, uh, which is key for a few reasons. One, Pennsylvania does not have early voting. State like North Carolina, almost half the voters have already voted. Pennsylvania, that's not the case. And and there are real concerns about African-American turnout right now for the Democrats. In the early vote, uh, the African-American turnout appears to be way down in some key states uh, by as much as 10 percent or more in, other, uh, in some counties. So that's what the Democrats, at least, are trying to do and trying to push Katie McGinty over the top in her race against Pat Toomey. Now, Bridget Bowman, you follow the Senate leadership, and if Democrats take control of the chamber, all eyes will be on New York's Chuck Schumer. Uh, he's seen as uh, more of a deal maker than the current Democratic leader, Harry Reid, who's more of a, a partisan gut puncher, if you will. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Uh, and how could that help or hurt Democrats who are facing a tough electoral map in 2018. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so Senator Schumer was actually asked recently to compare himself to Harry Reid. And he kind of said, like, I don't really want to do that. But if you're Republicans, you will be getting calls from me. And he's he has made it known that he wants to actively work across the aisle and phone Republicans and say, you know, why are you voting this certain way? What can we do? How can we find common ground on this? And you also have to keep in mind, as you mentioned, they're facing a tough map in 2018. They have far more Democrats defending their seat, about 25, two of them independents who caucus with Democrats, will be defending their seats in 2018 compared to only eight Republican senators. So I mean, you got to think it's Senator Schumer that he wants to be able to protect those incumbents as well. You talk to lawmakers, you talk to staffers, other experts real and so-called around town, and you often hear immigration, tax overhaul, fixing the criminal justice system often mentioned as, as first-year agenda items. Which of those is the most attainable? Well, immigration is one that Senator Schumer himself has brought up quite a bit. I remember he was part of that so-called Gang of Eight back in 2013 when the Senate developed its own kind of comprehensive immigration overhaul legislation. So that's something that he seems to see that he can work across the aisle on, something that they might actually be able to get done. But you also have to keep in mind that those issues that you mentioned are also – there are different factions of the Republican conference that – go different ways. And so we'll have to deal with that. And But immigration definitely seems to be one. And of course, uh, there's a Supreme Court nomination that I guess conceivably could be dealt with in the post-election lame duck session. But if not, it will carry over and will loom over the new Congress and the new president. Uh, how much could that suck the air out of the room and take away from these other issues? Well, it depends. It depends what happens. So uh, if Republicans decide to work with Democrats on this, that could kind of get this resolved fairly quickly and we could move on. If Republicans decide to blockade any of the next president, presumably Secretary Clinton's nominees, that could really poison the well moving forward. 
And Democrats could look at even changing the rules to lower the threshold to end debate on these nominees. As you recall, they did that a couple years ago, but left Supreme Court nominees alone. Senator Schumer has been asked about this and has just said, you know, we'll kind of deal with that when we get to that issue. And that's all I can really say about that now. We'll just have to wait and see. Nuclear option 2.0 in that case. Uh, Dealing with personalities, we also saw, I mean, during this campaign season, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren making waves and sort of being the voices of this ascendant progressive movement. Uh, When they reconvene into the new Senate, are they going to kind of recede into the woodwork or how is Schumer going to showcase them or tamp them down? I doubt you'll see them receding at all, uh, given just the amount of energy around Senator Sanders' campaign. I've talked to a bunch of his colleagues around that time when he was sort of winding it down, and they all predicted that he would be more powerful when he came back to the chamber. Uh, I think you'll see those senators, those more progressive senators, also making noise on cabinet appointments such as Treasury Secretary and things like that. So that could cause some issues um, in the conference. But I think... Senator Schumer, too, has wants to kind of address some of these progressive policies. So he's going to have this interesting balance between trying to get something done on the progressive front to excite Democrats, but also balancing protecting his vulnerable incumbents. Roll call senior political reporter Alex Rorty, Senate leadership reporter Bridget Bowman on cliffhanger races and prospects for the Senate in the 115th Congress. I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all of our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcast. Have a good week.